right, all right, all right, all right. Sit, sit, or else we're going to be here forever and it won't be my fault. It might be, might be. Real quick, real quick, yell out the name of the person you met and their favorite color, go! All right, I learned nothing about any of you, but hopefully you learned something about somebody, okay, <laughs> okay? All right, praise God. Well, we are in our final week of Genesis. Holy moly. February 6th is when we started this series. So we have been in this puppy 10 months, 10 months we've been studying this book. Uh, who has enjoyed it? Okay, and then some of you didn't raise your hand. That's awkward. That's super awkward. Um, wasn't really an optional thing. I don't know what you're doing here. Uh, <laughs> How many have been here since February 6th rocking with us through Genesis? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, man, I got to tell you, uh, I don't know about you, but for me, I think uh, as we've walked through this personally, I have learned and gleaned and taken more than I definitely have ever in Genesis before. I think I've been guilty at times of reading, you know, one of the most famous books of the Bible, but just skimming over a lot of it because of some of the weirdness that we've talked a lot about, some of the things that don't seem to make full sense. But for me, and I hope for you as well, that I have learned so much uh, through these last 10 months about what God's word can mean to us when we're really diving in together. When we're really pulling things out, and I think the beautiful thing about this book, family, is that this is alive and active. Like, we could restart the study of Genesis next week, which we are. Just kidding. <laughs> we just decided to go again, you know. Round two. <laughs> we could, and we could get something new every single week for all of eternity, and that's the amazing thing that this book is not just some book. Like, I hope you are in this thing. I hope you're reading. Like, I hope your Bible looks like mine. It's the detachable version. One of my favorite quotes, though, is a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a person who's not. Well, Y'all know Phil came with the one-liners today. So we are in our last week of Genesis, our last week of Genesis, and throughout Genesis, we've just like seen so much. It's 10 months, it could have been longer, uh, of awesome content and, and fulfilling things. We see the creation of the world and the creation of man. We see the entrance of sin. We see the effects of that sin. We see brokenness in people. We start with Cain and Abel right off the bat, God's intervention and, and how he comes into the story over and over and over again. Stories like Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac into Jacob, and now into Joseph, where we currently are. And throughout this entire process, one thing that we see the whole time is the never-ending presence of God in the good, in the bad, in the weird, in the normal. We see the never-ending presence of God, his promises, his goodness, and all of the above. And now we are wrapping up with chapters 48, 49, and 50. 48, 49, and 50, and then we're done. Hopefully you're not done. I hope you keep doing it yourself, but we are done here at Grace for that. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to pray, and we are going to dive right into what God might have for us this morning. So if you would, pray with me. Oh, Father, I thank you for another morning that we do not deserve. I thank you for oxygen that we didn't create. I thank you for family that we've been grafted into. I thank you that your word is truly alive and active. I thank you that your mercy and grace are new for each of us this morning. I don't know about my family, but I know I need it. 
So God, we just lift up this morning to you. We ask that you would uh, teach us and pull from scripture which you would have us individually leave with today. But God, I ask that your word would change us this morning. And that it does it tomorrow and the next day and the next day. God, we love you. We trust you with this time. We give it to you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people sing, amen. Come on now. It was a little lower today. Yeah, I know y'all heard it. I know y'all heard it. We were waiting for it. Y'all are always behind. It's the acoustics, I swear. I don't get it. But you always sound better. I'm telling you. It's just like dead down the middle. It's the weirdest thing. Chapters 48 through 50, 48 through 50. So we're not going to read them all like we've been doing the past few weeks. We're kind of taking chunks. We're encouraging you to study it yourself. And then we're pulling out pieces that we think can be beneficial. Of course, all of it can be. But as Ben led us last week, um, we see Joseph's dream, which we've been talking about now for a couple weeks, come to fruition. We see the brothers come to Egypt, and we see this entire story where they don't even know it's him, but they're bowing to him, and they need his help, and all of these things are happening. And Joseph walks through this process of testing them and sending them away with silver, and and they think they're being cursed, and Joseph was trying to bless them, and there's all these dynamics going on. But, But what Ben talked a lot about, and rightfully so, was we see this amazing act of forgiveness by Joseph, this amazing act of forgiveness. And I was actually in Connecticut last week, a whole story. My keys got stolen, got stuck there a bunch of days. I'm telling you, Phil shows up with a new life experience every single week. Doesn't make any sense. But we were watching from Connecticut. Uh, actually, we were driving home with the makeshift key we had to go get and listening to it. Uh, and I wasn't looking at my phone, I swear. But seeing people come up, you know, in the fringes. We don't film you guys as we're doing responses. That would be inappropriate. But seeing some heads bob and float and come up and, and offer forgiveness at the altar. Oh. Was that impactful for anybody last week? Did anybody write a really hard name down? Do you want to yell it out right now? (laughs) And but things like that. All right, the message is over. See you next week. Someone yelled Phil if you didn't hear him. (laughs) My wife probably wrote that. Oh, she was with me. Anyways, (laughs) this amazing act of forgiveness. And I don't know about you guys, but, but for me, there's something so powerful in what Joseph did here. It's more than just, okay, I forgive you because you hurt me. There was something spiritual, something life-changing that happens when we enter into things like that. So that's what we're coming out of. We're coming out of this amazing act of forgiveness. And the famine comes, and we go into chapter 48. So I'm going to give us an overview of chapter 48, 49, and 50, and then we're going to dissect some things out. So 48, we see the grandsons of Jacob, Joseph's sons, Manasseh, Manasseh, and Ephraim. It's something close to that. Uh, And they're his two oldest sons. And we see them come, and it's this interesting dynamic where they want to be blessed by Jacob, by Israel, by the grandfather, right? And Joseph brings his two sons up, and uh, Jacob's nearing the end of his life. His eyesight's going away. All this stuff's happening. And he brings his two sons up, and he brings Manasseh to the right hand, which would have been like the favored hand, and he brings Ephraim to the left. And Jacob goes to bless them and literally goes like this. It says that he crossed his arms. And it, Joseph didn't like that. Joseph was like, hey, you're blessing the wrong son. This is the oldest. And Jacob says, I know. 
but the younger is going to be the greater. That should sound familiar. <laughs> we'll get into that. So that's chapter 48. And then into chapter 49, we see Jacob's life coming to an end, right? And because his life's coming to an end, he says, I need to bless my sons. He's got 12 sons. And he says, I need to bless my sons. And most of chapter 49, we see the, the quote-unquote blessing of these 12 sons. And, the, and they're, it's, it's kind of weird. How many of you read it for yourself? Chapter 49. It's, it's a little odd. The blessings are kind of all over the place. Some of them seem really good. Some of them don't seem very good. And we walk through this kind of dynamic. And, and that's what happens. And at the end of chapter 49, we see Jacob pass. Well, then we go into chapter 50. And they go and they bury Jacob. They go to the land of Canaan, which is where Abraham had bought this plot of land for, for burials and things. And Jacob asks er, to be buried there. And Joseph uh, gets permission from Pharaoh. And they go to bury him. And then in our last few little paragraphs, we see the brothers realizing, well, wait, Jacob was a lot of the reason that Joseph might have forgave us because he's the father and Joseph really wanted to see the father. Well, now that he's dead, what if he doesn't forgive us anymore? What if, what if, what if Joseph is going to now uh, maybe inflict the punishment that could be due so they come to him and they bow at his feet again and they say, we're your slaves. Your father has asked you to forgive us, which we'll get into that a little bit. And, and Joseph, I mean, just so interestingly, not only forgives them, but he says what I think are some of the most powerful words in the Bible outside of Jesus himself speaking in verses 19 and 20 in chapter 50, where he says, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And he not only forgives them and assures them in this way, but it says he provided for them and their families. And I think, and we're going to talk a lot about this here in a little bit, these, these like two sentences, if we embrace them in our own life, can change a lot of things, change a lot of the way we view things, change a lot of our personal interactions and, and more. And then in the uh, rest of 50, they live out the rest of their lives in Egypt, and it says Joseph passes away at 110 years old. End Genesis, begin the rest of God's story. So here's what I want to do today. I want to just pick out uh, one piece per chapter, one piece per chapter, and, and see what it might mean for us, all right? So the first that we're going to pull out of is chapter 48, uh, verses 13 and 14, and 17 and 19, but I'll have it up on the screens for you as well. So this is chapter 48, starting in verse 13. And Joseph took both of them, talking about his sons, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand, like we talked about, and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand, and they brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, and though he was the younger and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Okay, so that's what we talked about. Literally, just picture this for a minute. There's so many weird visuals throughout this story, but my man literally was like, was supposed to do this and went, I mean, this is the actual visual of what he was doing. Kind of odd, kind of odd. We're going to skip a couple verses. He gives the physical blessing. And then a couple verses later, Joseph says this. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. This is interesting. So he took hold of his father's hand to move from Ephraim's to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, no, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. And, but his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, 
And he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. So this is odd, right? I mean, I think we're just at the point where we should just assume every page of Genesis is odd, and there's something weird going to pop up, yet we can learn from it. So he's crossing his arms, and he, he does these things, and again, we see the youngest given the blessing. Again, does this sound familiar at all? It should. If you've been rocking with us and rolling with us, we, we should almost feel like this is getting repetitive, that younger people in, in these families are getting favored or blessed like a whole bunch of times just in Genesis alone. And that's not even including like go forward to David, right, who David was anointed king even though there were a bunch of brothers ahead of him. There's this reoccurring theme of the youngest getting blessings or the youngest being favored. Let me give some examples. Abel's offering, I mean this is way back into the beginning, Abel's offering was favored over Cain's. Isaac was the child of promise, even though Ishmael was born first. Jacob steals the blessing from Esau, but his mother had way in the way earlier on, like been told by God, the second's going to be the one that gets the blessing. Joseph himself was favorited by his father over all his older brothers. And now Jacob, this is ironic because Jacob, again, is the one who stole the blessing as the younger son, is here giving a greater blessing, the right hand blessing to the youngest son. And I was confused. When I read it, when I was studying, I was confused. And I'm like, man, this keeps happening over and over, and it's not supposed to happen like that. But what stuck out to me as I was praying about it, thinking about it, was that there's only one to two verses in Scripture that God personally speaks about blessing the firstborn. It's not until Deuteronomy, I think, that, that God himself talks about blessing a firstborn. And at no point, to my understanding, is it ever law. It's, it's, it's just God kind of mentioning it in, in a certain situation. And that was, at the time, I think, this idea of blessing the firstborn, the oldest giving more, getting more, was much more of a cultural thing than it was a heavenly thing. Much more, at the time, of a cultural thing than it was a heavenly thing. It's just what you did. The oldest was the heir. He got more than the others. He received family and generational blessings. There was a certain pride a father had in his firstborn son. It was cultural for the most part, at least so it seems to me. Yet over and over in God's people, we see it not happening the culture's way. Some of y'all know where I'm going already? We see over and over that even at times in strange ways, the youngest is being favored. The youngest is being given blessings. The youngest is the one that's being elevated. And I think over and over God is doing this to distinguish himself from cultural expectations. So my first point is simply this. God constantly distinguishes himself from our expectations. He constantly distinguishes himself, I love that word distinguish, distinguishes himself from your and my expectations of him. I love the idea of us serving an upside down kingdom. If you are in Christ, if you know Jesus and you are doing your best to follow him, you, whether or not you like it, live and serve in an upside down kingdom. What do I mean by that? Almost anything the world would expect, almost anything the world would want of you, God has the opposite for you. God is constantly, Romans 12, 1 through 2, it's my life verse. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you can know what's the will of God, which is pleasing and perfect. 
And how do we find the will of God? How do we please God is not conforming to the world. We serve an upside down kingdom. And as far as the heavens are from the earth, so far as his ways above ours, Isaiah 55. And I feel that God led me to this simple encouragement through this backwards blessing, literally arms crossed, doing what he, the culture wouldn't want you to do, what wouldn't be normal, what wouldn't be acceptable. It even says it was displeasing to Joseph because he expected a certain thing. Do you know, a little, little side caveat note, the vast majority, if not all of our disappointment in life comes from what we expected out of a situation. And I feel God just wants to encourage us saying, I'm different than your worldly expectations significantly different than your worldly expectations. I'm better, I'm perfect, I'm just and fair. I'm writing the story and it's better if I write the story. So I think the question for us then is twofold. First part is this, do we trust him enough to follow when it doesn't match our expectations? Here's the thing, and, and guilty, like hopefully when I challenge things or whatever, it never comes off as condemnation because guilty, do you know what I'm saying? And, and yet, I wonder how many of us say we love and trust God, and then the minute something doesn't go our way, we're horribly disappointed and messed up, and that's not trusting of God. So first question, do we trust him enough to follow him when it doesn't match our expectations? I think the second question is this. Is God being distinguished through our lives or do we just blend in? If God is constantly distinguishing himself from our and others' expectations, does our life reflect that type of distinguishment or do we just blend in with what the world does? So for the first one, do we trust him enough to follow him when it doesn't match our expectations? J Joseph here, he was verbally unhappy with the, the decision. Which I love that, like, we can, Joseph just seems to get things right all the time. Like, he's one of the few examples of, like, dude, you just did it right, like, all the time. You were really, really good at this thing called life, okay? And right, you know, I'm not, you know, some of us aren't. I'm just going to keep it 100. We're not that good at this game called life. And, and here, he was verbally un, unhappy with the decision, yet, yet, trusted enough to know God's plan is always better. This is interesting. You are allowed to be upset in life. You are allowed to be confused, think things aren't going the right way, but the question isn't what, whether or not you feel that way, it's what you do with it. You're allowed to feel disappointed, but do you take that disappointment and let it run into despair? Do you take that disappointment and let it uh, make you uh, distrust God or, or ask questions or doubt? Or do you take that and say, okay, I don't really get it, but you're way better, so I'm going to trust you and say, okay. So the first question I think is what, we, what do we do with that and are we trusting him? Because I think so often we run when things don't match what we'd like. We run when things uh, don't feel normal, they don't feel comfortable, and yet these are the ways God distinguishes himself from the world. And if God always just did what we felt was right, he wouldn't be God. If God constantly was just trying to make us feel great and match what we think in our diff different situations, he would cease to be God. And yet he doesn't do that. It's actually an encouragement to me that God doesn't conform to my hopes and desires. Because that would be miserable in the end. And he doesn't conform because that means he's still God. It means he's in charge and we aren't. So family, are we trusting him? Are we trusting him when life and faith aren't meeting our expectations? I'd be willing to bet a lot of people in the room 
could say yes and amen, life right now is not meeting my expectations. I just heard like 15 people giggle. (laughs) Or are we secretly just wanting God to conform to our version of things when he distinguishes himself intentionally? And I think a follow-up to that then with the second question, like are we, uh, is God being distinguished through our lives? Like are we distinguishable, if you will? Is, are our lives reflecting such distinguished faith? And while, of course, we're far from perfect, can people look at you and me and say, man, they're different and okay with it? Like things aren't going the way they would have wanted and they're weirdly peaceful about it. Like I I watched them walk through a hard season. I watched them struggle with something and yet they're so full of joy. You know what I mean? Like I've seen this person have a million reasons to not believe in God and they're so firm in their faith. Or are we not maybe distinguished in that way? Like can people look at you and say that about you. And again, that's not condemnation, that's a challenge. Because I know in my life, it's probably 50-50 sometimes. There's sometimes I think people can look at me and be like, oh my gosh, man, I just want to follow you because you're clearly following God. And then there's other times I feel like people probably look at me and like, stop talking, Phil. And if, if it's one of you, you know, leave it, leave it be, okay? Just give me a break. So we see, we see Joseph's son blessed in, again, this countercultural array, right? We see God distinguishing himself, or so I, I kind of believe that's what he's doing. And the story continues then into chapter 49. So we see the blessing of these two sons, and God, again, just stirring the pot, man. He's just like, I swear, he's just keeping us on our toes. He's like, hey, I'm going to do it different than you expected. You okay with that? You still with me? You still following me? And I think we can ask ourselves those same questions. And then it heads into chapter 49 where Jacob's soon going to die and he speaks this, this prophetic future and blessing over his own sons now. So we're like, we're going from one set of blessings to another set of blessings and it takes up almost the entire chapter. So rather than read the 28 verses, up on the screen, I'm just going to have like a summary, like a summary of these blessings. Okay, check this out. It's a little bit small because there's 12, there's so many sons but I have them up there, kind of read through them quick. Rubens, he, he excels in honor and power, but, but effectively not any longer. Like he's not going to have that. That was the first. Uh, Simon and Levi, Simeon and Levi, uh, due to their violence, they're literally cursed and scattered. Does that sound like a blessing? <laughs> if your dad said that to you, you probably are in here needing some prayer this morning. You know what I mean? Judah, his brothers will praise you, given power and position. Zebulun, Zebulun. Uh, is going to become a haven for ships by the sea. Very specific. Like, tells him what he's going to be doing and where. Issachar, <laughs> I had to put the word in there, calls him a raw bone donkey, all right? Okay? I considered not putting that in there, but it's literally what the word of God says, okay? Um, imagine, friends, if you woke up and your dad came over and said, hey, buddy, good morning, you raw bone donkey, you. <laughs> I had to, I'm sorry. Raw bone means strong. I had to look it up. It means, effectively means strong. So actually it's a compliment. But it says that he's going to be forced into labor 
Again, doesn't seem a lot like a blessing. Dan is a provider of justice. Gad's going to be attacked and attack people back. Asher is going to have the best food, basically. That's what it said. Now, yeah, right? That's, I'll take that one. Naphtali is going to be set free uh, and bear beautiful children. Joseph had the longest, biggest, most awesome blessing. He's going to be fruitful, steady. He's going to be a prince. Uh, and his blessings are going to be greater than the mountains themselves. And then Benjamin, he calls him a ravenous wolf, I believe. Uh, and he is going to pray and, and share the plunder. Okay. Um, we could just take a vote, I guess, of which one you'd prefer. <laughs> yeah, me too. So after reading through these, and now probably you with me if you didn't study, I couldn't help but be like, okay, these seem messed up. It's becoming re repetitive at this point that I just feel like this stuff's weird, okay? And God's challenging me over and over to really lean into it. So these, these seem messed up. Like some of these are significantly negative while others seem overwhelmingly positive. Some are short and simple. Like some of the blessings were literally a sentence, whereas Joseph got like three paragraphs, okay? And some are long, some are elaborate, some are short, uh, whatever. The, and, and yet these are referred to as blessings, and I can't help but think half of them seem like curses, right? Like if I were to ask you right now, like how is Simeon and Levi's a blessing? That'd be a hard thing to answer, right? And I found myself basically comparing the futures and blessings of each of these sons. As I'm reading through that, I'm like, this don't seem fair. Like it's odd that a father would talk to his sons in such unique different, seemingly odd ways, like not like unfair ways. And I felt like it was right then as I started doing this comparison, comparison thing that God hit, we, hit me with it. And he basically was like this, that's our problem. We start comparing who got what and how they got it and what it looks like to us and what the world would think about how their life's going. And that's our problem. From the human perspective, this seems like good and bad. It seems like blessing and curse. But listen to me, that is not the godly perspective. That's not the godly perspective. Each of these futures leads to one of the tribes of Israel. And the tribes of Israel shape much of the rest of the Old Testament. And while each blessing is obviously different, each serves a specific purpose used by God for the future and his plans. And if any of these brothers had been like, nah, I prefer Joseph's blessing. Or nah, I want the food blessing. Like, what you gave me doesn't seem fair. What, the, the, hand I, oh, the hand I got dealt wasn't a good one. And when we start to do and say things like that, regardless of how quote-unquote great your life seems or quote-unquote horrible your life seems, when we start to do things like that, we'd be missing out on where God is trying to plant you for the future. Each of these went, each of these brothers, regardless of how the blessing looks, went into and led a future tribe of Israel, which ended up being the, the future of God's people and through the line of Judah, specifically Jesus coming. And I think so often in our own lives, obviously we're not, we don't function like this anymore nowadays. We don't have fathers given kind of blessings in this instance. I actually hope, dads, that you do speak over your children in one way or another. But I think 
we would compare these so often. And whether or not we know it and it might not be this extreme, we do this in our own lives all the time. All the time. I look at what this person's got and where they're going and the things they've achieved or the things they've been given or the situation that they were born into and whatever. I'm like, well, man, you got it easy because you got a lot of family money. You don't got to work for nothing. Well, you got it easy because you're gorgeous and everybody gives you everything you want and I don't feel gorgeous today. You know what I mean? Whatever it might be, you've got nicer stuff. You've got the nicer job. You, you did this, that, and the other. Fill in the, your family's healthy and my family feels like a hot mess. I only had a, a, a single mom raising me and you had two healthy whatever it might be and we compare what other people have versus us and maybe when we do that miss out on God actually blessing us through our situation do you guys see where I'm going with this like it ties right back into point one about our expectations when we aren't careful to be trying to see things through God's eyes not our own we could be misdiagnosing the things going on around us and missing what he has for us so let me ask this question. What if you've viewed what have you viewed as a burden in your life that might literally be God's blessing? What have you viewed as a burden in your life that might literally be God's blessings? I think Actually, that's not my point. I'm sorry I changed it, Jesse. That's, that's a good point. I, got, I came up with a better one, okay? Jesse, quick edit, quick edit. It's this. What we view as burden can actually be blessing. He's going to have that up there in a second. He's so good at stuff like that. What we view as burden can actually be blessing. I think I looked at some of these. I looked at some of these. Look at that. What a great point. What a great point. It's lowercase too. <laughs> what we view as burden can actually be blessing. I'm telling you, I looked at specifically like Levi and Simeon's. There's a couple that are weird, but Simeon and Levi's, it says they're going to be cursed and scattered and it's called a blessing. Jesse, it's distracting now. <laughs> Just kidding, thank you. <laughs> you know you can have fun in church, right? I feel like I'm going to say that every single Sunday I ever teach. If I didn't laugh, we did something wrong. I think that this comparison that I was doing is so dangerous. And that's why I'm pointing the finger at me because I was reading this and I was comparing. I was like, man, these aren't equal. These aren't all good. These, are, these don't all seem like, man, I wouldn't want some of them versus the others. And I'm, I really do think I was like, it's be, you're viewing this so wrong, Phil. Like you, you have this human perspective about situations that, that until you shed that, you are going to struggle to see your life the way God wants you to see it. Like, like each of our stories, family, will look different. Each of our giftings are different. Each of our positions in life will be different. And when we start down this slippery slope of comparison and expecting God's plan for us to look like someone else's, we're in danger of missing out on the tribe of Israel we're supposed to lead. Oh. Do, do, like, I love the, the kind of not corny phrases I say a lot, like, your mess will become your message. Your tests will become your testimony. Do you know there's plenty of you in this room that can relate to people I will never meet or relate to? I am loud and rambunctious. There's quiet people who dislike people like me. Or just all of you. I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
And you, you know who can? You. And if you are running away from your experiences and you're running away from your giftings and the way you're wired because you think you should be like someone else, you think you should have gotten what they got and your hand wasn't as good as theirs, you're missing out on the people that you can impact that I never could. You're, you're missing out on the purposes God has for you that are not for me. They're not for the person sitting next to you. They're not for the person that you think it has a way better than you or way worse than you. They're for you. And I look specifically at Levi. This is so interesting, okay? If you know anything, about, like biblically speaking, who did Levi end up, his tribe, who did it end up being? The priests, the Levites. How is the one who, he's, he's called violent and said he's going to be cursed and scattered. How is he the one that ends up being the priesthood? I think I'll tell you why, because this rebuke from his father, this, this prophetic future would have been taken very seriously. And I think because Jacob said it to him, something might have shifted in Levi. Something might have shifted in Levi. And then we, we jump forward to Exodus 28 and Exodus 32, and we see the Levites come and, and they're given the priesthood. Here's, here's what's interesting. When it says they were scattered, Basically, what that meant for the future is that the other 11 tribes were all going to be given land. Levites weren't given land. What were they given? God. They were given something way better. Hear me. The one that looked like the worst blessing ended up getting God himself. I don't know how emphatically I can preach this, but I'm going to try. You might be walking through the worst thing in this entire room and it could lead you to the biggest blessing. But if you're so worried comparing about your situation versus their situation versus what they have versus what you have, the hand you've been dealt versus the hand they've been dealt, you could also miss that blessing. Levi, who got the worst of these in, from the human perspective, it ends up reaping the most beautiful one, in my opinion. But I think, family, this idea on our, our part uh, of good and bad, like I think this is good and I think this is bad, is killer for us, not just in life, but in faith. Why? It puts you and me in the place of judge that we were never meant to sit in. It puts us in the place of judge, and we are terrible judges. And we try to play judge. It's incredibly draining. Oh, I need someone in the room to hear this. Some of us are so tired and drained and anxious and beaten down by life, and we think it's because life is hard. It's because we've been holding a weight we were never meant to carry. Because everything that happens, we're diagnosing if it's fair, if it's right. How could this happen? Why do bad, this mentality of why do bad things happen to good people? There's no such thing as a good person. If you think you're one of them, you're not. So bad things only happen to bad people seems fair all of a sudden, doesn't it? I'll shift y'all's perspective like this. I won't. He will. But it, it kills us, man. We got so many people that, that we are so, we, we let things weigh us down and kill us because we're, we're deciding whether or not we deserved it. And what would it look like if we just released that control knowing we have none so when the waves of life come, we expected it anyways, knowing we deserve death in the end and God gave us life. And with that perspective, all of a sudden, no matter what happens, I'm not shook. And that's easier said than done. Yeah, one person's like, come on, Phil. She, she over there, she was like, yeah! I'll tell you all one thing. I've decided, I've committed to the Lord that my energy will stay regardless of yours. 
Love y'all. I do. Except for you, Fernando. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I just, lo- I just looked at you. I love you, bro. I love you. But man, I'm telling you, listen, listen. I think this is why the world's offended all the time. Oh my gosh, we're in the most offended culture ever. Everybody's triggered about everything, especially my young folk. Y'all just get so hot and bothered about every little thing and something's trending one day and then you're, you know, and then gosh, it's just a hot mess. And and why are we hurt all the time, offended all the time, thinking life is unfair and all this stuff constantly defeated? It's because we're not trusting that God's the judge. And and that, that might sound generic in some ways, but I promise you it's not. I promise you it's not. Like every little situation, if we were letting go control and just saying, man, in the end, I have no control. I'm not the judge of this thing. I shouldn't be the judge of this thing because I'm a terrible, terrible judge. It is so freeing to just realize you're not in control. It is so freeing to let go of that. And when we have this mentality shift, I think then we can look at lists like I just had up and see every single one is a blessing. What would it look like in your life if you wrote down 12 things that have happened to you this week, some good, some bad, and you viewed all of them as a blessing? That would, that would change everything. I'm telling you, like, I mean, I've been, I've been mentoring this, a young man recently. We've been meeting up, and, and I'm, you know, I, he's not here, I don't think so, and I'm not going to say his name anyways, but I don't think he'd care. I, I love this dude, but one of the things I've told him over and over and over again, I was like, dude, you just default to negativity. You default to all the bad stuff. Here's what we're going to do. Every time you're in here, I'm going to have you make a full-page list of good things in your life. And can I tell you, when when we first did this, he literally stared at the page for a full minute before he could write something down. Some of us are like that. If I were to write now, say, hey, start writing positive things in your life, you would struggle. And yet there's, I could, you woke up, you're breathing oxygen, you probably had some type of food, you had some type of vehicle to get here, even if someone else had to pick you up. You had clothes on your back, you didn't die yesterday, so, you know, that's good, you know what I mean? Like, uh, dude, I could just keep, I, I would need 40 hands for the next two minutes to cover the number of positive things, but can I tell you something? He started writing every meeting, and then you know what he started doing on his own time? Every time something positive happened, he'd write it down. And can I tell you, that boy's mindset is completely different now. The negative doesn't just flood his head anymore. He, he's like being f- like filled up with the good things of life. And I'm telling you, all of that comes down to us thinking we're the judge. Thinking we're in control and then things don't go my way so everything must be horrible. And we're not the judge, we're terrible judges. So a question for us this morning, family, is what part of your story, what part of God's call on your life, what experiences or situations are you ignoring, rejecting, or running from because you think your story should look more like someone else's? You viewed certain things, people, situations, only as a burden when it may literally be a blessing from God shaping your future and purpose. What in your life have you seen as a burden that could literally be God's blessing for you? So we see Jacob. He's two sets of blessings in, and we've dissected both. First, Joseph's sons, and then his own sons, and we're seeing what we can pull out of it. And shortly after he passes away, so it literally says uh, at the end of 49, uh, that as soon as he uh, did this, he said something like he curled up his feet, drew up his feet into bed, and breathed his last And he was gathered to his people. That's verse 33 in chapter 49. So we see the end of Jacob's life. We've talked about this guy named Jacob now for a whole bunch of time. Like he's he's our dude dressing up in goat skin and acting a fool. You know what I mean? 
Um, and he's passed on now. He's spending time with Jesus, and we're going to meet him one day. That's kind of crazy to think about, isn't it? That we've studied all these things, and we're going to meet these people one day. I don't think we're going to be very concerned about them, though, just to be honest. Like, I'm going to be like, Joseph, get out the way. Where's Jesus? <laughs> I'll be like, my bad. That was rude. But where's he at? <laughs> so, so let's go into chapter 50. The last chapter, the last chapter in Genesis uh, and we finish it up after this. Uh, we're going to read out of verses 15 through 21. Um, so the beginning of the chapter is primarily uh, Jacob's burial in Canaan. There's a lot of uh, important uh, implications there. You know, Abraham had bought this land, and a lot of, uh, a lot of our kind of patriarchs and families are buried in the same place. Uh, so read that for yourself. But we're going to look at 15. So the blessings have now all been given, uh, starting in verse 15 through 21. It says this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Um, and just pause. I don't know this for sure, but like, I, th I mean, I think it's just a flat out lie. I don't think he wrote a letter. I think they're just being manipulative again. Uh, but they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You sit on that for a second. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke to them kindly. I don't know how many of us in the room have been sold into slavery. Hopefully none. It, it's hard to even fathom doing this for me. It's hard to even think what it would take to not only forgive, but see what God is doing through my pain and 22 years of imprisonment and slavery and being beaten and disrobed by my brothers who were supposed to love me and sold, literally sold, and then they come groveling back to my feet. I feel like my instinct would be to kick them, I mean, I'm, and I'm not joking. And this is what Joseph does, man. It's just like, Joseph, stop it. This is why I'm skipping you in heaven, you punk. <laughs> why are you doing this? This, to me, guys, is, is some of the most incredible eye-opening sentences in the entire Bible. Like, the whole book. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in this book. Jesus, primarily. But, like, I mean, this is, this is mind-blowing. Joseph, this is so huge to see. We're talking about not being the judge, right? We're talking about how we're not in control of things. In this instance, Joseph was the judge. Joseph had full authority to inflict punishment. He is literally effectively leading the kingdom that everyone has to come to. And his perpetrators, his people that 22 years ago had put him into all of this, come and he has the authority to inflict punishment on them. Rightful punishment for things they had done. Yet he doesn't. And in fact, he acknowledges that they did it. He acknowledges that they intended to harm him, but that God was using it to save lives. Talk about viewing burden as a blessing. 
Again, I don't know in the room as I'm saying like, man, we can, we can look at burdens as blessings. We really can. We really can. My gosh, this is such a crazy example. He had 22 years of burden, a horrible burden, being in prison for stuff he didn't do. And the whole time he's faithful. The whole time he's, he's fighting for God. The whole time he's, he's being faithful to the best of his, his ability. Joseph had this heavenly lens that I'm frankly envious of to be able to see all the horrible things he had gone through as God's plan to do amazing things. Oh, man. Some of us just wake up on the wrong side of the bed in our day shot. And this man, ah, these words should just speak to us how he was able to address his his perpetrators, the people who had hurt him. And I'll be honest, while I was like excited to teach this message, because I was going to give some emphatic point about God working all things for good, you know what I mean? I was going to focus on verse 20. I even told Ben, Mark, and Jeff in one of our teaching team meetings, I was like, this is a home run type of message. This is easy money. You know what I'm saying? This is the one you just crank out the park. What, you intended to harm me? Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? God's using it to save lives. He's working all things for good, Romans 8, 28. And God was like, you're not doing that, Phil. It was like, this is why I wanted this message, God. God showed me something different. God showed me something different. What I found myself influenced by as I studied this, listen, wasn't what Joseph did, it was how he did it. It wasn't what he did, it was how he was able to do it. So what what Joseph did, how he treated his brothers, the way he viewed things that seemed so hard as a blessing, as God's plan and purpose, that was amazing. But my question was, how the heck did he do that? And it was in verse 19. I wanted to sit on 20, and we're not. We're sitting on 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Here's the phrase, am I in the place of God? My point is straight out the scripture. And it's a question for all of us. Am I in the place of God? How was Joseph so postured to forgive and even serve people who had badly betrayed him? Because he knew deep in his soul, right back to it, he's not the judge. He is not sitting in God's seat handling the things that only God can handle. And because he knew that, no matter what happened in his life, seemingly good or bad, God is in control. He's the ultimate judge. So then not only was he forgiving, Ben talked about that, but he was able to see what God was doing through it. And like Ben said last week, there's a vertical transaction of, about forgiveness and there's a horizontal transaction about forgiveness, right? Right? This was the vertical transaction that Joseph was right with God enough that he was therefore able to forgive. The forgiveness, we could probably assume, had happened before his brothers even came. We don't know that for sure, but he he was in a place in his soul that when they finally showed up, he was good to go, right? So there was this vertical transaction, but then here we see the horizontal reaction to a vertical transaction. Somebody write that down. We see the horizontal reaction to the vertical transaction. Let me tell you something. The way you act in life is very reflective to how connected you are here. Your horizontal reactions are are directly tied to how vertically connected you are. And Joseph here literally did not just forgive in his heart. He, he went and served those. He provi- it says he provided 
for the people. He actually like wept with them and for them. He had seen compassion over them, even though what they had done. Joseph, understanding that he's not God, therefore not in control, therefore not in the judge's seat, his vertical connection resulted in horizontal action that to us seems crazy. And yet, that's as available to you and me as it was to him. Every hurt in your life, every betrayal in your life, every family issue in your life, all of the above, you have an equal opportunity to be so connected with the Father, the compassionate, loving, gracious, all good God, that it'll completely change how you're treating people here. And Joseph models this to us, being able to see that his hardships were God's plan to save people. That's so hard to say out loud, that that our hardships might be God's plan. And yet when we start viewing things like that, burdens become blessings. I wonder how many of us in the room need to start flipping burdens into blessings. And I wonder, family, that through this simple question of am I in the place of God, if our perspectives would be so different, how different our view of life would be, how different we would see life struggles, how different our day-to-day actions and interactions would be if in every situation we simply asked ourselves, am I in the place of God? This would change how I treat people. This would change my perspective on pain and struggles. This would help me to forgive easier, love quicker, serve selflessly, be thankful more often, and about a million other things. If I just, like, Whisper to myself, man, I'm getting in an argument with my wife, okay, or I'm at where I work here. That's awkward. I was about to be like, if my boss and me are beefing, well, <laughs> we do sometimes. You know, whatever it might be, you're in, you're in your place of work, you're in, you're in your home, and you're just, am I in the place of God here? Am I getting angry for no reason? Am I getting defensive for no reason? Do I think this is unfair? Or, am I in the place of God right now? Like, this would be something I think we could write on a sticky note and just put on our work computer. And every time you go in a meeting that you just want to punch everybody and you just whisper to yourself, man, am I in the place of God? You got those people, you got people in your life uh, hurting or sick or struggling or maybe you're that person. And you're trying to do these things because you, you are not sure why things are going the way they are and, and life seems like it's in sh- Am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God expecting something I shouldn't? trying to be someone I'm not, trying to control things that I can't control. I think if we asked ourselves that question, if that just was a question reverberating through our brains, I also think this, it would be a humbling reality of how often we do put our place, ourselves in the place of God. I think, man, if we started whispering to ourselves, am I in the place of God? The answer would be yes a lot. <laughs> We'd start realizing, dude, I try to control everything in my life. Everything. Man, I want my relationships to look a certain way. I want my family to look a certain way. I want my job to look a certain way. I want my bank account to look a certain way. Whatever it might be. And I'm putting myself in the, I'm putting myself in the judge seat. I'm deciding whether this is fair or not. I'm deciding whether this is good or not. And I think it'd be a humbling reality, probably for all of us, that if we ask that question, we would be like Joseph, able to do the unthinkable, forgive and provide for people who badly hurt us. And it's because we know God's in control, working all things for good. All things for good. But here's how I want to close out Genesis. I don't want to just close out leaving you with that question and, and hope that you go and you remind yourself of that. And we'd be a mobilized army, people whispering to ourselves and everybody thinks we're crazy. Okay, you know what I'm saying? What if like 500 of us walked out and all of us were just like, am I the God, it sound weird, but I think we'd grow, you know. Here's how I want to close Genesis, though. In the end, Joseph doing this, 
Joseph acting this way, Joseph forgiving and being compassionate for people who had hurt him badly, who is he pointing to? Jesus. He is just a momentary human model for Jesus. Joseph had the opportunity to be the judge, to get his own justice, to pay someone back that hurt him. And get this, Joseph was literally in the judge's seat. He had human authority to afflict consequences, but he doesn't. He forgives. He leaves the judging to God. And it just makes me think of Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Philippians 2, 6 through 11, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When we read the word of God, Jesus is on every single page, family. Every single page. All of this is pointing to him. All of this is for him. All of this is from him. So when I read Joseph, and he's a great human example, and I can learn from him, I don't know about you, but I just look at him and I see Jesus. I see how good Jesus is. I see his sacrifice up on that cross. He's in every single chapter. Joseph, because he knew God, was able to model Jesus before Jesus even ever came, and how fitting to close out our series on Genesis, to acknowledge that we see Jesus from the first page of Genesis floating over the waters. We can go to the Gospels where it says the word was with God and the word was God from the beginning. And then all the way to chapter 50, the last page, we see Jesus through Joseph. And he's in every page in between. And when we read scripture and we find Jesus all over it, we are reminded that God's redemptive plan has been since day one. And when Jesus came and died on that cross for everything you and I have ever done, and we believe and we follow him, God's story, which was the original title of this, becomes our story. And God's story is a victorious one. So when we say that the study of Genesis was God's story, and now it's God's victory, it is your story as well, and it is your victory So thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, for your son, Jesus. We are forever yours. Father, we submit this to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that if we study your word the right way, every page looks like a cross. We thank you that the only one that could have done what you did God, I just ask right now that as we leave today and we we close in worship, Father, would you show us the areas that we are trying to be the judge? God, just gently reveal to us the areas that we're trying to be the judge that we can't be because you are the only one. Would you begin to free us? Would we walk out of here today in further freedom, knowing if you're in control, we can trust you with that, and it's not ours to hold on to. Are we in the place of God? Help us to answer that with no. We love you. We trust you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. You guys can stand up. We're going to worship one more time.